Hello and welcome to the science fiction question mark book club podcast, Spectology. Uh, I am your quarantined host, Adrian. I'm Matt. Hey, buddy. Hey. Uh, Spectology, like I said, is a science fiction book club podcast where each month we pick a book, read it, and talk about it. This is kind of a weird month, though. (laughs) It's unusual, that's for sure. So this is supposed to be the post-read for Wittgenstein's Mistress by David Markson. Both Matt and I are in various states of having read it, but we wanted to publish an episode anyway and kind of talk about maybe why this is not the book of the moment. <laughs> why in mid-February when I chose this book, it seemed like a good idea and now it feels less so. <laughs> Even though it's a really good book, y'all should read it eventually. <laughs> it is a really good book, but I, I read half of it and I just couldn't read it right now. it right now. I, this is just not, it's a book about being the only person left in the world after like the end of the world. And it's just not something that I want to deal with right now. (laughs) It's very good though. It really is good. I don't have the mental capacity. I am literally living that in my real life at the moment. Like I, I had contact with someone who is confirmed case and like, I can't leave the apartment. I so far am like fine. Like I don't have any symptoms, but like I literally have not had like human contact in over a week and I'm going fucking insane. Yeah. It is a good book though. Uh, you know, it is. at some point, you know, maybe check it out. Yeah. Definitely so we'll talk a little bit about the book. We might talk about some other stuff. Uh, if you're coming from like the far future when like, you know, life is back to normal in like 2025 or whatever the fuck that is right now, we're in the middle of the coronavirus epidemic. We're going to like try to keep stuff light and not talk like too much about that. Cause that's all any podcast is talking about right now, but we'll see. We'll do what we can do. Um, yeah, so Matt, do you want to review the part of the book that you read so far? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I actually know. really liked it, and I, I think I probably will finish it sooner rather than later, mostly just because um, I anticipate there will be a time relatively soon where I feel like reading things again. Um, I think like the main thing for me is not even so much the subject matter of the book, because it is kind of relaxing in a way, um, just mm-hmm. the the... The, the way that it's written this in this sort of stream of consciousness, very dry, um, lots of art history, lots mm-hmm. of like ancient mythology, you know, that sort of stuff is like very weirdly comforting. Um, but I just kind of can't concentrate on books right now. Like I, I haven't read yeah. any novels really in the last couple of weeks, um, which is unusual for me. And it's, you know, it's, this is a period that will pass. I mean, there's going to be a lot of, you know, the final periodization of this part of history is going to involve a lot of periods and there's going to be a lot of like different mindsets. This is going to go on for a long time. So I anticipate that I will probably finish it sooner rather than later. But in the interest of keeping on some sort of normal schedule, uh, you know, it makes sense to talk about it now anyway. Um, as far as yeah, what I actually... I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, keep going. Oh, please. no, no. No, I was just going to say as far as what I actually thought about it, um, it's great. I love books like this. Um, it's one woman written by a man, but actually, I mean, 
really well written by a man. I, yes. I, I think it, you very know, well. I would be very interested to hear other people. I mean, this is two like men saying this, but yeah. like, I think it's very well written in terms of its perspective. I would be very interested to hear other people's opinions on that, but I, it does seem to be very, very good. Um, it's one woman, uh, kind of typing to herself 10 years after the end of the world. Um, she is an extremely unreliable narrator as she often comments to herself. She claims to be going in and out of lucidity or madness mm -hmm. or something. Um, she spends most of her time reminiscing about random pieces of art, historical, uh, knowledge that she has like rattling around in her head mixed right, in with she reminiscences. She is a painter herself or was a yeah. painter herself. Yeah. Mixed in with remembering her various wanderings in the initial phase of her post-apocalyptic life alone where she was still looking for other people or even other animals what one of the crazy things about this apocalypse scenario seems to be that like nothing except for nothing. like very small things perhaps but maybe not even them is alive like yeah. <laughs> there's no there cats. are plants you know, there's there, no cats. there are there's plants. No seagulls there's no seagulls there's no birds there's no right, small mammals right. you know it's very unclear what if anything is alive it's also of course at least at this point it's very unclear like how much of you know reality so to speak we're getting as yep. she uh as she points out several times which is a wittgenstein quote um <laughs> the world is everything that is the case <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not exactly clear what is the case right here <laughs> yeah no it's not so it's this very discursive rambling sort of like perambulation around the mind of somebody who's too lonely not all there but has a lot of interesting bits of knowledge and uh i find that appealing i think it's like weirdly relaxing and meditative but mm. you know <laughs> yeah mm. i really like it mm -hmm. What about you, dude? What do you, I mean, you know, you've, you have in fact read the whole book uh, at some I point. I have read the book before, indeed. And even this time, like I read, because I'm a slower reader than you. So I read about half of it and then I did a really fast skim of the second half just to kind of remember what I could. <clears throat> the interesting thing is it's a novel that is not very plot heavy. You don't like necessarily like learn that much new in the second half that you didn't learn in the first half. Uh, one thing that is kind of fun is that, you know, she will sometimes mention something early on and then come back to that thing like a hundred pages later, just kind of in the middle of a thought. Like she does a lot of this, like um, I think of it as kind of a spiral, the structure of the novel where yeah, every time sense. she comes back to something, it like adds some new context, even if she's not even like relating it as a thing that she had talked about previously. And that context sort of like builds and builds and builds on itself, but never, like it points to a center, but it never quite quite gets there. Um, yeah, it reminds thing... me. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it reminds me of uh, the spiral jetty, which is a piece of art in the American Southwest. It's like an actual mm. jetty jutting out into uh, a dry. Well, I guess it's not a dry lake. This is now me doing like. <laughs> the narrator of the book but right where i like try to vaguely remember these like pieces of of like art <laughs> knowledge that rattle around in my head but spiral jetty is this very large installation that looks like a jetty jutting out into a lake but it spirals and it's made out of these like white rocks and it's very beautiful mm. and mm. it reminds me of the structure of this book 
Yeah. <laughs> now I feel like the author. Or the I narrator. always think of David Lynch when I read this book. Like it reminds me of um, uh, Inland Empire in particular. His one of his, I guess, kind of more recent movies. Um, but that also has a somewhat, uh, you know, there's like five, four or five different, like totally unrelated, like narrative elements to that. But as the movie goes on, they get kind of like closer and closer together. Both like you spend less time on each individual one and they kind of bleed into each other a little bit. And that structure feels very much like a spiral in the same way this one does. That's an interesting comparison because like, I, I don't think I would have thought of that, but it makes sense. Like David Lynch to me is so like people interacting. And this book is so like silence and stillness <laughs> <laughs> right but it makes but sense there's also i mean something like mohol and drive right has this element of like it's people interacting or is it not right is yeah. it like the last thoughts of like a dead woman yeah. before she commits suicide right. like it, you know exactly there's, there's all these kinds of you know just like this is the question you know i guess you haven't i'm gonna kind of spoil elements for you man i'm sorry to do that um one thing I think you realize the further you get into the book is how much the book is about grief. It's about her like losing her son. Oh, that seems clear already. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like uh, particularly towards the end, I think it becomes more and more clear that one possible interpretation of the novel, because so a thing that keeps happening is she keeps talking about the books that are in the house that she's living in. And you'll notice as she does that, that a lot of the books that she's talking about also pertain to the subjects that she's talking about or maybe even are about the places that she says she went and it becomes kind of unclear if she ever went anywhere or if she's just been like reading books in her house and again kind of like going mad whatever that that means in particular yeah um there's also a thing she mentions kind of towards the end of the book that is about um the painting that she makes a really big deal of a painting of the house that she's in. Yeah. Um, and she just kind of offhandedly mentions, uh, you know, somewhere like in the two thirds part of the book of like, you know, that was a painting that potentially she painted. Yeah. Right. Cause she herself is a painter. Yeah. Um, I was already and, wondering that actually, because yeah. I mean, just, yeah. So she calls it out a little bit. Yeah. There's just a lot that you, you, you start to question everything that she says pretty quickly um, mm -hmm. and pretty comprehensively. And I had already wondered if, if perhaps she wasn't like living in her house. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. And that's a big question of like, is she doing that? And I think too, if there's this, you know, she, the very end of the novel is essentially about like, she finally sort of describes what happens when she went down to Mexico and like went and visited the grave of her son and mm. kind of like looked at it and finally like, you know, talk because she talks several times about how she like has burned down several houses and she makes finally makes mention of the fact that like the first house she burned down was the house that like she, her husband and her son had lived in. And she had like, you know, poured gasoline all over his her son's room and like lit a match and left and oh, then yeah. started her. Well, travels. She, she mentions she actually mentions that in the beginning, too. Oh, does she? Yeah. Too? Oh, yeah. OK, yeah. OK, OK. I, it's I really about it's that really point. interesting how everything just kind of keeps coming back and circling and, and like call, uh, describing yeah. it in that way. Is, is I think really apt. It's this sort of strange, circular, wandering walk. And it, it, it's a lot like she describes driving around the castle in La Mancha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's very much a description of reading the book. Yeah. <laughs> driving around a castle and seeing it from the same distance the entire time while you're moving. But like the thing is actually yeah. is always like at exactly the right, same distance. And wondering if you're ever going to find the turnoff that goes into the castle or perhaps you've just been passing right. it 
every single circuit and never noticing or right (laughs) oh i mean there's also that interest there's another point where she looks for a road and she can't find it yeah you know which is the house that she can see through the distance Uh of like one room (laughs) and she you know like eventually goes looking for it and like go walks to the house instead of drives and tries to find the entrance and there's like a you know a tree that's fallen and has blocked the entrance so from the other side of the road you just like don't see it because it's all overgrown and I, you know, it's like, is, is that the castle? Is that the yeah. same thing? Is it just a coincidence that right. they both happened? It's also really funny to think that like her original method, she becomes interested in like the, where the road to the house is. And her original method of finding the road is to get in her car and drive to town and then like try all the roads from town, <laughs> which is really a weird way of solving that problem. If you're like a person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but she's only kind of a person in the world at this point. Yeah. Well, That's but another the world thing. is all that is the case, Adrian. <laughs> well, you know, and you know, all that is the case is what's happening in her head. I think <laughs> that's one of the things I like about this book a lot is the sense of, you know, like one of the key questions is like, you know, about memory and like our memory is fallible, right? Like I, I definitely do this all the time where I like absolutely well, maybe yours. misremember things. Yours <laughs> is too. <laughs> <laughs> where you're, you know you misremember or like you and someone else like have memories that are of the same event that are really really different i do this with my parents sometimes or we will talk about events and it's like my memory of them and theirs is just like it could be like a different event right and like mine is so strong and theirs is so strong and um you know and the question becomes like well what happens to those events when there's only one person to remember them there's no sort of like objective or like outside world to it it's just like what you remember about what's happened to you and then like what can you say what really happened to you and i think this is some of the Wittgensteinian like language games right like language games are things you play with other people it's like you create meaning kind of like with multiple people talking about things and agreeing on meaning and when you only have one person like what happens to meaning you know, can you have language with only a single entity? I mean, in a way, I feel like the book's position, at least so far to me, is that absolutely yes. And like, it's just different. And it's different in ways that we might think are awful and profoundly unsettling, mm-hmm. um, but also strangely peaceful. I mean, there's an interesting way in which, you know, for all that she has these powerful buried emotions and she's not really facing the sort of like incredible trauma that she's been through in losing her son and everyone else in the world and the mm-hmm. animals that she loves and you know everything um and her parents which she which she talks about a lot her mother dying um you know for all that she has this this terrible trauma in her in her mind um she also has is sort of free of anxiety in another way she's free of a lot of things she has a kind of weird peacefulness to her and to her behavior and those mm-hmm. those things do not juxtapose in like a unproblematic way like there's like a weird tension there between Mm -hmm. how peaceful is she really and like how grieving is she really and like she talks a lot about baggage and how she supposedly (laughs) got rid of all of her baggage and stopped carrying it around but like obviously she still has baggage in her head you know right Right. (laughs) so it's 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 interesting though because there is that like for all that it's intention with everything and it's kind of suspect there's still this sort of weird piece there um and like there are these moments of beauty, the lilacs bloom, you know, the sunset every night is beautiful. There's rosy fingered dawn that comes, you know. 
even even stuff that is maybe like brutal is beautiful. I mean, like the story of like watching the house burn down and her being mm-hmm. like, well, that happened and there's nothing I can do about it. So maybe I'll just like look out here from the beach and like, oh, I wish I had the rowboat so I could like see how far I can see the flames from. Right. Like there's senses in which like that's like deeply unsettling and also like deeply kind of beautiful and sublime at the same time. Like the thought of this big fire on a beach that you can see from so far away and like kind of like the coldness of the ocean and just her rowing out through it. I don't know. It's like that stuff is very like, you know, yeah, unsettling is just the word for me, but I kind of like the type of unsettling that it is. Like there's something, you know, like very much like Zen monk about her where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, whatever is mm-hmm. happening is happening. And that's just like the thing that is. And I will accept it and like, you know, work with it instead of, you know, trying to like wish the world were a different way from what it is. So one thing I was going to ask you, Adrian, is like to what extent do you think about this book as just one long meditation maybe maybe not only is everything else in her head but the apocalypse itself is in her head maybe this is like an inner journey from the beginning to the end and it's like a person living alone like secluding themselves and like facing everything that's in the deepest corners of their own mind well right i mean that's obviously like one way to read this book is that like the apocalypse is just like she's been living alone in this house her son has died her son was her whole world and you know she is like grieving as if the rest of the world is gone as well and is like reading these books and telling herself these stories about like these travels she's gone on which are actually just like her reading these books that are in the house that's definitely like one way of reading it is this like you know the world ending as metaphor for like the way you feel when like a close loved one particularly a child dies Right. I do think, though, like asking, like, which is the real thing is sort of like, I mean, she talks a lot about how, like, you know, maybe there's a person in the window of this painting or maybe it's just a smudge of paint. Oh, it's definitely like whether or not it's a person, it's it is a smudge of paint. Right. Like this, this that question in some ways is like. You know, if it's not, it's supported by the text, but it's not like it's in the text. It's not like there is actually a woman in a world that has ended. Like all that stuff is in the book or in her own minds as we're reading the book and like drawing these images in her head. Um, And so, you know, in some ways, like asking like, oh, which is it really is like, well, you know, it's more like what typical what types of interpretations can we draw from it rather than like, you know. At least that's how, and that's tends to be how I read books anyway. Like one of the reasons I like this book a lot is I think it really like puts that in a well-defined thing. Like there's this kind of, um, mode in like fandom, like nerd culture that is about like theorizing, right? It's like, let's take the plot and try to like make it make sense. Like let's make theories about either what will happen or like how what happened makes sense and what really happened. And that's this type of like engagement with media that I've never really um, gone in for understood or gone in for. Yeah, it's always been kind of like, sure, like that's a way of engaging with it. But it kind of has this almost like, you know, like platonic view of the world of like there is something that happens in a book. Like there is a correct way to interpret like the plot. And like there are people who are having plot elements happen to like like that that the book describes something, anything at all. And I don't know if I like read literature that way, right? Like I don't know if I look at, you know, a TV show as something that like has happened. Like, you know, it's like and there's a correct way to interpret the plot elements 
and like in a lot of ways like i don't care ultimately about like the mystery of the plot as much as i care about like what does the what is the thematic content say like what does that make me feel how does it suggest that i should live my life how do you know how was it fun to watch and like exciting or not right like there's a lot of different ways to like watch or read or whatever and not all of them have to be about like you know big important truths but like i feel like i think this is a book that describes very well kind of the way that i read which is not about like what actually happened because like nothing actually happened someone wrote a book yeah i actually agree very strongly with everything you've just said going all the way back right. to no, the beginning I know, of you I know, talking. Right. Um, I, I, I was really interested, and I, I, I agree very strongly with, like I have the same approach um, to um, interpreting plots, but I have, I have two things I wanted to say when you were, mm-hmm. that I thought of when you were, when you were talking. One, the, the, the first is kind of my, my, what I'm really interested in when I ask you about the interpretation of this entire book as a meditation is, is like, not so much like, do you think that really happened? But like, what do you think of that? Um, mm. You know, you're somebody who knows a lot about meditating. And you when you when you mention Zen, like that's something that you, you know, are very familiar with. And so I'd be interested in like if if this is like if we put that lens on it and we look yeah. at it, like how do we feel about it? What are some of the ways that the details maybe ring hollow or like or really resonate conversely? Mm-hmm. And I'll put a pin I in think- the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I no, hear what totally, you have to say totally. I, you know, there's this funny element of language that is like the English language uses meditating in two very different ways, right? Like meditation might describe like what you do in a, you know, Zen temple or Zen monastery. And it might also describe like a, like a book like this, which is like a meditation on grief. Right. And like, those kind those are actually two different things right like the meditation on like a type of work of literature or writing or you know whatever it is that is like kind of like longer discursive thoughts about a general kind of abstract topic this meditation on thing um is not really a thing that's done in buddhism as far as i'm aware and the like you know the 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 lineages of like stuff that i've read like that's not how you know, a Buddhist teacher would necessarily like talk about grief. It's not to say that like, you know, a Buddhist wouldn't enjoy this book like I did. Right. (laughs) Um, But that like, you know, that kind of meditation and then the type of meditation that we do when we are just sitting like together in Sangha or alone, or it's just not the same thing, right? Like Buddhist meditation in particular, but I think also even a lot of the secular meditation, like mindfulness meditation is about, understanding kind of the world as it is in the very moment, like feeling what you're feeling, like not thinking about it, but rather like recognizing your thoughts, like as thoughts as they come and letting go of them as they come so that you don't hold on to them and don't like engage with them. Um, And like, that's a very different, you know, I think, I think in some way something like this, this kind of stream of consciousness, you know, holds more in common with like a Freudian analysis than a meditation, right? It is a, it is a, uh, uh, what's, what's the word that Freudian analysis uses? I, I forget now. Um, 
uh, free association, right? Like it's a free association on a lot of different ideas. It is a like complete opening up and like a being filterless and like being able to like engage with what it is that you're feeling as you're feeling it um, in a very kind of talky way, right? In a very sort of like, it doesn't have to be intellectual. I, I don't like, I think there's, it can be a lot about talking that is not intellectual and is rather like emotional and really comes from this kind of like body emotional center. Um, but it's different than meditation, even though we call it a meditation. So that was a long discursion on, <laughs> that was my meditation on the word meditation in English. I don't know if that was what you asked or not, but that's kind of where it brought me. Yeah, that, that was, that was interesting. I, I, that was not what I was thinking, but that was really interesting. And I'm glad that you shared it. What about um, yourself? How do you take this sort of like, you know, it being a book about grief or like a meditation on, you know, well, this woman. it's interesting. I, I, I think um, it has to do with this other major set of themes in the book, sort of what it's like to be alone, what it's like to live a hermetic existence, what it's like to experience solitude in a kind of in a very profound and complete way, um, which is mm. something that's always fascinated me since I was very little. Um, the idea of uh, being completely alone and experiencing that like with a totality that is um that is you know normally we associate experiences with um these almost sort of chemical feelings that suffuse our bodies you know like when mm -hmm. you have an amazing meal you're experiencing this this like chemical blanket being wrapped around you <clears throat> and this you know fireworks display of different reactions all up and down your entire body that correspond to the, the, to the effect the food that you're eating has on you. Um, and you know, uh, like same with like listening to music or, or even watching an emotional movie, you know, or, or any, any piece of art, um, having a deep conversation with somebody, these experiences are, you know, we, we are comfortable associating experiences like that with this sort of profound physical, mental, physiological, total effect on us. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, sometimes people will talk about solitude as an absence of experience, which has just never seemed right, I think, to me. Like, in fact, you no. know, I mean, it's, it's all experience. The world is all that is the case in that sense, um, yeah. I, I, I think. When you, if you imagine being tr tr truly alone, um, it's, it's, it's this very complete thing that affects every hair on you, every pore every every um cell in your body you know and so it's it's right. always been very interesting for me to like think about that and to think about the the there's a there's a physical aspect to it there's also an emotional aspect to it there's a there's a sort of intellectual aspect to it which this novel also deals with a lot um mm. you know it's possible to intellectualize this kind of the thinking that that relates to solitude that comes from solitude um you know, I think sometimes, you know, Wittgenstein had a very solitary life at times. Um, he lived like a hermit at, in, in parts of his life. Um, and he, you know, spent other parts of his life in with very little, relatively little contact with other people. And he's not the only, you know, sort of, uh, you know, well-known author or artist in the in the mm. long tradition of mm -hmm. human art to have done so. I mean, a lot of people have, whether they're right. religious figures or not. And so in the context of this book, I think about how, to what extent is our narrator kind of 
intentionally pursuing this? What are the things that she's getting out of it? Um, right. How how is this solitude like what are the precise spiritual aspects of it for her and how how does it um how is it working and is it even is it good i i think like i haven't finished the book and so i don't feel like i can answer those questions yet but i think i could maybe have some sense of them if i did finish it mm-hmm. so, yeah i mean yeah. sorry it's like Again, I have been alone for a very long time now, and uh, it's kind of like heavy to talk about. Sorry, dude. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just, you know, it's like one of the things I've noticed in the past like week since I've like really had human contact is, you know, you mentioned how it's like it is and like being alone is this like total experience and like that's true, but I've also noticed it's really easy to kind of like fall back into some of these habits I have of like ignoring my experience as it happens, like really kind of like moving away from what it is that I feel and blocking out what I feel. Um, Because it can be kind of overwhelming to deal with your own emotions, like fully on your own for me, at least, right. It can be really overwhelming to just like be alone with nothing but yourself um, with nothing but myself. Oh, totally dude. I, I don't think that um, solitude is a, easier experience than others no no i just I don't think yeah. i don't think you're saying that i, I it just had me reflecting yeah. on this kind of ways in which it is a total body experience but also like you know contrary to like what uh you know particularly zen buddhism wants which is not the absence of feeling but the full awareness of what it is that you're feeling you know it, it can be kind of contrary to that i think there's a reason that you know um Buddhism in particular, like there's a lot of like meditative and monastic traditions that involve this thought of um, like hermits, right? Like the idea yep. of like, uh, you know, I think I think in certain like Hindu sects as well as um, like the, the kind of old Coptic monks in like old Christianity, kind of like pre-Catholic, pre-Orthodox Christianity, you had a lot of these, um, yeah, like hermetic monks, like people who like go away entirely on their own. Um, and at least in the like Buddhist traditions, I'm a part of and understand to any degree like that, that, that isn't the way that monasticism is treated, right? Like monasticism is treated as like an intense community. And, and that's a really important part of what we do. I mean, it's why, you know, like we have a temple and like we go and we sit together as many times as we can, right? It's why we meditate in a group, even though like you don't even see anyone else in the room necessarily because you're all facing away from each other. But that connection and knowing that you're doing it there with other people is actually a like that's we call it support, like the support of those around you, like knowing that they're meditating and that you're meditating together is like a really important aspect of the practice. Um, so it is this kind of like interesting sort of like push and pull of right? Like, I don't think there's like a single way to do this correctly. I'm not saying that like, you know, like, oh yeah, Soto Zen Buddhism has it figured out. And these other guys are idiots for like going away alone. It's just that like, you know, different folks have different goals and different priorities for what they're doing. And I think solitude can be, you know, both useful and also counterproductive towards those ends of like knowing yourself. 
Yeah. It can be really useful to be on your own and to be kind of like forced to like, you know, stare at the abyss. But the other thing about that is that like when you're on your own, it's a lot easier to pretend the abyss isn't there and just like walk around it while saying that like, oh, there's I didn't walk around anything. There's no one to call you out on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or you could fall in. Yeah, I think that's deeply true. I think, um, you know, all kinds of experience are potentially good more most at least most kinds of experience um Mm. i don't think i don't want to like my intuition is not to privilege a particular kind of experience over others yeah yeah agreed right i mean i think there's experiences like i like i guess the one place i would push back i feel like there's this you know idea that um and I don't think this is what you're saying, but I, I, I sometimes hear that same language used to justify like, oh, like, you know, this kind of like American worth at work ethic, like, oh, like, you know, you can come from any background and like, you know, be good and happy and successful. And like, the truth is that like some experiences hurt more than others. Some experiences cause more lasting pain than others. And I think that's worth, you know, acknowledging in there too. And I, and I think you are, I just, you know, that's the. You're goddamn right. I am. Oh man. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's like, it's, it's weird. It's like, I want to talk about this book and it just like brings up so many emotions. No, it's fine. I'm, you know, I'm just like to get like, you know, maybe too real for the podcast, but like, I'm really lonely right now. It sucks. I think you're not alone in feeling that. I know, know. I know. But I also do like, I live alone. Like I don't have other people in my apartment with me and it's actually been really interesting, like talking to, cause I'm calling people a lot and I'm talking to people a lot. Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked on the phone, like, you know, it's like, I have a lot of contact, like social contact that is non-physical social contact. And I feel very like, you know, um, just like fortunate that I have like the friend and like support network that I do have. Like I have no complaints there. Um, but it is, there's sometimes like we're even like talking on the phone with someone and seeing like, you know, like my friend and their wife, like hanging out together, talking to me where it's like, Oh, I feel like kind of like sad that I'm alone here, you know, that I don't have that, you know, like other people, whether it's roommates or, you know, lovers or whatever, who are like in my life at the moment. And it's a very kind of like, yeah, just weird feeling this, you know, cause I like, I like living alone, right? Like up until now I've really enjoyed living alone. I like it a whole lot that I have this like space that is my own and that I, you know, like, but like right now all of a sudden it became like very difficult really quickly. And so it is, um, I don't know. It's been kind of, it's part of why for me reading this book was really hard. Like I would read it and I would just get like full of like emotion that I couldn't really like handle at the time or like, you know, it would just like build up over and over and it'd be that feeling of like, I just have to put this down because I've read like 15 pages and I just like, you know, it's not the book making me feel this way. It's just like bringing up all this stuff that I'm feeling. That's kind of like hard to do on my own. Um, yeah. Like my usual coping mechanisms and like ways of dealing with like anger and pain and sadness and all these other emotions just sort of like all of a sudden like aren't working very well. It's difficult. It's just like way harder than it normally is. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I'm very real very quickly. <laughs> well, you know, it's fine. I mean, like we need to take reality from where we can get it. I think, right. I, I, I think it would be, not useful to try to, you know, 
pretend that things aren't real <laughs> when they yeah. are, you know? Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's when stress is put on the system, everything is more likely to break everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that means, I think, among other things that we have to work even harder to remember to be kind to all the things that might break in ourselves, you know? Right. So that's always been hard for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> the I, being you kind know. to myself part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's real. Real talk. <sighs> real talk. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about this book. I, you know, I, I feel really bad that, you know, this month started off with me being like, it's my self-indulgent pick. Don't and then I could, you know, feel even bad finish about it. this of all things. I mean, I, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> but like I do. So I'm going to admit it yeah, instead yeah, yeah. of pretending I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You should. Um, it's a very mild sense of bad. Okay. It is a sort That's, of like, yeah. like I it, rather, I, I wish that, you know, the other thing I noticed reading it though, is that like, like, I don't know how much more we would have talked about it than what we did. Like, it's a hard book to talk about. And it's this interesting thing where I've never actually talked about it with someone else who's read it. I've like convinced a few other friends to read it and we've never actually like talked about it in depth. So much like, oh, really good, huh? And like, it's kind of weirdly difficult to talk about. Oh, I have some ideas. These are all yeah. things that I think, like, I couldn't have pulled off given the situation. But, um, you know, my, like, ambitious take was, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll obviously go back and, like, you know, read some of the philosophy and, like, <laughs> and we'll engage with it at that level. That's one thing. Another option That's is... definitely one thing. Another right? option is, like you know, the discussion that we have had about solitude, which I think is great. That was something I was really thinking about a lot when I was reading it. Um, and another option is to talk about the, like the emotional level of the book in terms of the grief and the way that we like the way that literature works in the way that literature works as a, a mechanism for helping us relate to the world and, interact with difficult things i mean a lot of people Mm -hmm. are turning to you know camus la peste or like the decameron or like you know just non-fiction accounts of previous pandemics things like that i know we don't want to talk about that too much but i think that's definitely you know literature as vehicle to respond to the world is is a thing that i probably would have thought of even if there were no pandemic because this book is so much about grief right it's funny, I actually went and re-listened to one of our episodes about Zone 1 the other day while oh, I was wow. just like doing some <laughs> cleaning and cooking. Well, it's this funny thing where it's like a different kind of apocalypse. And so in some ways, it's kind of like more fun to engage with. And it's also like a different you and me. Like we were we were physically to get right. Like that was one of those episodes oh, yeah. where we actually recorded in the same room as rare as that is. Yeah, the very and room where I am now. Right. You know, me not where I am now, which is where I usually am where I record. And it was this feeling of like, you know, there was something that too, you know, almost like it being a tale of like New York City that has been like emptied out. And that kind of like New York City having this like different feeling right now, which is like everyone is still here. We're just all inside. 
I noticed um, actually like a week ago now, and I've been noticing it more and more um, birds that I never see. Mm-hmm. And like, so I've, I've gotten my binoculars out and I like to like sit outside my, my kitchen window, which are the windows with the best view and like look at birds in the trees behind my house and in the like yards and stuff. And there's all these like species of birds that you never see in New York city who within, you know, within days of people starting to shelter in place started like showing up like, you know, blue jays and like robins and like all this stuff that I don't normally see out here. Uh, I saw a crow, which I don't know if I've ever seen a crow in New York City before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's been really kind of wild to watch that happen and to also kind of remember, you know, like as human behavior changes, like that's not the only thing in the world that changes. The world also responds to us. Right. Like as we change, like it's it's not just society that changes. It's also like, you know, yeah, like there's less traffic and less people out and about. So birds feel more comfortable, like, you know, roosting in places that normally they wouldn't. The rewilding of the world is very fast, very fast. But it's not just like, you know, I mean, presumably these birds, it's not like they weren't here. Right. They just probably weren't hanging out where I could see them. Yeah. Right. Like that's some of it too, is it's, it's, you know, it's like, there's this element of it that is, and so it's interesting listening to the zone one episode where, you know, we talked so much about that book as a like metaphor for depression. And I think that this book is also, you know, a metaphor for grief. I mean, she even talks about her depression and her like, you know, kind of like the, the yeah, way even that in depression the affects, right. Right. And the way that it affects her ability to like get work done and to prepare for the winters and that kind of thing. Um, and at the very end of the book is her worrying that her like depression has made it like too hard for her to like prepare for this coming winter. And I don't know. It's kind of interesting that these post-apocalyptic books do that. This, this sense of like grief and depression and these feelings of like the world ending all kind of like combining together in a way, right? Like the apocalypse can be used as a like literalization of that feeling of either a feeling of isolation, whether that's from grief or from depression or, you know, from social isolation or whatever it is. That went nowhere. No, I think it's really easy to sit down and have a conversation about a, a, a book like based on the sort of standard formula of conversations about books And it's a lot more difficult and there are a lot more pregnant pauses and there's a lot more like backtracking and like wandering when you're having a conversation that is in a kind of unknown territory. Mm. And, you know, it's kind of the nature of like a recurring podcast (laughs) to exist in the former space and not the latter. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. So. So we're kind of the latter right now. Yeah, I mean, we're not even really talking about the book. We're talking about no. life now, which is, right. you know, an which is unknown weird. space. Yep. So, yeah. So, I don't know. Should we keep going? <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we should probably call it because, like... Let's do it. For all that pregnant pauses occasionally work in radio, I think they mostly don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Well, I hope other people eventually read this book if they haven't already. Um, it is a good book. It's a really good book, and I am, uh, I am, you know, I am sad that we are not in the place where we can do it justice. I am also like okay with the fact that we are not in the place where we can do it justice and like accepting that instead of like pretending to. Um, so hopefully we've read it or, you know, talked enough that it's like vaguely interesting to people. Um, we will be back next week, presumably next week. Maybe we'll, we'll see what we're going to do. There's going to be some changes on the feed in a couple of ways. One is I hope I'm working with some folks and hopefully we will be able to start doing some, more different stuff than we normally do it will be published on a different day from normal and might even happen sometimes like we might double up on normal episodes and these other episodes i don't want to announce anything before i actually have it kind of worked out and i'm still talking to people but it would be a way of essentially like helping out sci-fi authors right who are just like releasing stuff right now having some more kind of like content for folks on the feed that isn't just like us talking about books but is you know maybe like interesting in a different way and you know helpful for you while you you are social isolating and um yeah i'm really excited about that but again i don't want to like talk too much about it because it mostly because it doesn't exist yet and then um We'll also be doing our own regular book club episodes and bonus episodes as we go along. Uh, we have a guest on the podcast next month who we're both really excited about. And, you know, the goal for next month is to read a like fun, cozy, warm book. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a lot easier to do a sort of normal book club thing when we like pick a book that is you know picked in the context of the actual world situation exactly exactly so we're going to be reading something that brings us all a lot of joy and getting to like enjoy that joy and hopefully bring you all along for the ride thank you for coming along for the ride this far as well um hopefully you know the stuff that happens will also be kind of like fun i'm really excited about it um yeah and so until next time, I ask thank you to WJ for our music and O Bradley for our artwork. Uh, you can tweet at us at Spectology on Twitter. Uh, that I, uh, you know, I run that, and uh, I'm on Twitter a lot right now because I got shit all else to do. So come chat with me. <laughs> and uh, you know, we're also our email is SpectologyPod at gmail .com. Um, You know, I hope folks are doing well through this. I also hope that you are isolating and you know taking this very seriously um i know several people who've gotten sick uh and it's not good and it's not fun and so i'll please stay safe and healthy everyone yeah tonight is the night my cousin reports to the icu so let's <sighs> let's Sorry all take it that. seriously yeah please do please be aware that like even if you feel well other people might not have the like strength that you do as well um there are a lot of immunocompromised and older people who are going to have a really hard time and yeah. like keep them. And if you feel well, thoughts. you might still be passing it on. Right. <laughs> so just be careful with that. And, you know, also like find ways to help if you can. Um, you know, there's a lot of people are going to need a lot of different things. And, you know, both feel free to like ask for help. Like that's one thing I've been struggling with and trying to do better with is like recognizing when I need help with whatever it is and asking for it. And also like doing my best to offer to help where I can for other folks. And it's, you know, both I think are good for the soul in different ways. Um, 
yeah, so I hope everyone stays well. We will talk to you next time. Peace out. Bye, Matt.